Hello again, Fight fans. Welcome to episode number 170 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. As you can see, uh, there's a box of clothes behind me. There's boxes to the left, to the right of me, everywhere. I just got moved into uh, my new home, the Montero Manor. We're still living out of boxes, so we've relocated to the new home but now we uh, have to unpack and get this whole thing organized. But I'm actually coming to you from the studio, what will be the studio. Obviously, we got to get everything set up. Uh, we're still running with a crazy makeshift uh, uh, schedule and, and scheme here. But hopefully you guys are reading me loud and clear. If there are any issues with the audio or anything like that, let me know. All right, we got uh, CheckHook93 says the audio sounds good. All right, cool. So at least we got a good stream and the audio is good and uh, we can do the show. Okay, guys. So again, this is TNC 170 for Saturday, May 11th. And uh, the fee for this episode, again, I'm going to ask you guys, like videos all right a lot of you guys like to chime in and watch a video you leave in chat everything else but you won't leave a like all right so drop a like even if you dislike it i just saw joe lo asked about my 4,000 square foot house he heard my radio segment last night on the dave smith show it's not quite 4,000. it's about 3,800 square foot but yeah it's it's huge so uh, we have four bedrooms and Tiffany's going to make one bedroom her studio. I'm going to make one bedroom my studio. She works remotely from home. She still works for a company in Los Angeles from here. So she needs her studio for that. Uh, you know, I do all my boxing stuff and everything else from my studio. So uh, I'm going to continue to get this thing going. It's going to be cool having a dedicated space for all my boxing work. That's just going to make the, the, uh, t the whole TNC thing bigger badder and better all right but uh okay again homework for this episode guys like videos all right if you're gonna listen if you're gonna watch make sure you drop a like if you're listening on uh any of the itunes or anything like that oh ken Hig already liked good you already did your fee you already did your homework my man you're good for the night now you can sit back crack open the beer and relax but whether it's here on youtube or itunes or spotify wherever it is Make sure you're liking. That helps me. Definitely make sure you're subscribing. And if you could drop a rating, a review anytime, please do that as well. One other thing, guys. If you haven't listened to my radio segment on SB Nation Radio last night, Robert Garcia just liked. Well done, my man. Your homework's done. Now you can just relax and enjoy the show, right? It's great getting your, your work done up front, right? Because then you could just relax the rest of the show. Um, but yeah. I was on the Dave Smith show last night, uh, just talking boxing. We talked, of course, about the Canelo Jacobs thing. We also talked about what's next for Canelo. Obviously, that includes Triple G. We talked about big upcoming heavyweight fight in New York between Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz. So make sure you guys check that out. That's on the channel. Uh, drop that. Uh, drop a like and check that out as well. Oh, Michael Barrios is in the house. What's up, brother? Uh, okay, guys, let's get started with some news and notes. Uh, a lot to discuss, man. Some, some fights coming together over the summer. So the schedule is slow as hell in the beginning of the year. It's really starting to pick up and we're getting some fights. I mean, last week was the first quote unquote big fight of the year, but we got some great stuff coming up, man. Um, before I get into that though, Gennady Golovkin, now he is with Jonathan Banks. Did not see that shit coming, right? Training with Jonathan Banks. However, 2020 hindsight, 
It kind of makes sense. Jonathan Banks currently trains Cecilia Brekus, but most well-known for training Vladimir Klitschko for uh, since, I think it was 2012, when Emmanuel Stewart, his former trainer, passed. Emmanuel Stewart run, ran the famed Crunk Gym in Detroit for years. Jonathan Banks is from Detroit. He was kind of his understudy, his apprentice, right? Oh, Robert Palmer's in the house. Robert, I know you had a question for me, brother. I know you texted it to me. If you could, please drop it in the comments because... Um, I'm using my phone to record this because I don't have my camera set up. So I can't get to your question that you sent me earlier because I'm recording into the phone. So please post it in the chat here and I'll get to your question, bro. Anyway, guys, Jonathan Banks. There is a connection through K2. And obviously, Gennady Golovkin has a connection through K2. Tom Loeffler, Cecilia Brekus, Vladimir Klitschko. It all comes around. It all works. It all makes sense. Now, I don't quite know if Jonathan Banks is going to be right for Gennady or not. Um, time will tell. And if Gennady looks rejuvenated in the third fight with Canelo, let's say he pulls off a win, which would be an upset if he won now because everybody favors Canelo big in the third fight, right? If Golovkin wins that third fight, that'd be an upset. So if he pulls the upset, he'll look like a genius. Now, I know he's still training up in Big Bear. He's training not too far from the summit. Abel, Abel Sanchez's gym. He's just training at Shane Mosley's gym up there. So he's still training in high altitude, which I'm not crazy about. I don't think it makes sense to do crazy long extended periods of, of tr vigorous training and then sleeping and living in high altitude like that. I just, I, I've talked to enough people where they say the recovery time slower and is detrimental to your health and your stamina. One thing Jonathan Banks said, though, is he thought Gennady could have been more active, busier, thrown more punches in the rematch with Canelo. And I fully agree with him. So obviously, Jonathan Banks, one of the things he wants to work on with Gennady is getting him to throw more punches, particularly the jab, probably some body work. Here's what I don't know. Vladimir Klitschko looked amazing in that fight with Anthony Joshua, considering the layoff, considering he was coming off a loss considering all the personal issues he had with his relationship problems and everything, uh, just looked great. And then how old he was. He looked great. Was that Jonathan Banks or was that Vladimir Klitschko? I tend to believe that was all Vladimir Klitschko. From what I've been told and from what I've seen, Vlad pretty much ran that camp. After Emmanuel Stewart died the last however many years of his career, six, seven years of his career, he pretty much ran his camp. Jonathan Banks was sitting there uh, basically holding mitts for him and giving a little technical advice. But for the most part, it was Klitschko running that camp. Now, maybe that's what Gennady wants. Maybe Gennady wants to have more control and he basically runs camp and he wants to do things his way. And he just needs a guy, a knowledgeable guy, experienced guy that can you know, give him a little bit of adjusting, a little bit of technical expertise. Other than that, hold the mitts, get the guy in shape, and that's it. Also, Jonathan Banks is not a big personality. He's a very, very quiet guy, right? So I think uh, Abel Sanchez, loud guy, getting big, and he was every bit the star, kind of, as Gennady Golovkin was. At least, I'm not saying commercially, obviously, the fighter is the star. But if you look at all the promotions, all the commercials, you guys all remember Gennady Golovkin, the commercial with, uh, for, the, for the Canelo rematch where Abel Sanchez was cutting up the steak and eating it. I thought it was great. I thought it was hilarious. But Abel Sanchez was becoming a celebrity trainer with Gennady. 
And maybe Gennady Golovkin doesn't want that. I don't know. Maybe he wants a guy who will stay quiet and let Gennady be the star, Gennady steer the ship. Also, maybe Gennady just sees something that Jonathan Banks was able to do with Vladimir Klitschko style-wise that he wants to put or add to his repertoire. So we will see. But kind of hit me from left field, man. All right, some upcoming fights, and then we'll get to some questions here. So uh, Tony Harrison talking about Detroit. Detroit's own Tony Harrison will have a rematch with Jermel Charlo on June 23rd at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas on Fox. I think this being in Vegas speaks of establishment. This is PBC, Charlo's establishment fighter. I do think he'll make adjustments, but this being in, in Vegas, I think favors him more. It helps the fighters get paid better. And I think Harrison for this rematch wanted to get paid better. He should be, he's the titleist. But I do think this favors Charlo. I like him in this rematch. I think Jermel is gonna win the fight. And you know what? He might win the fight big. That's just what I see coming. Uh, let's see, Jermel, his brother, Fights a week later, I think on a Friday, June 29th, in Houston against Brandon Adams. Also on that card, Marcus Brown fighting Jean Pascal. Yeah, believe it or not, Jean Pascal is still fighting. I don't know why he carries on. I thought he was completely shut out by Dimitri Bivol. Is it going to look any better against Marcus Brown? I don't know. Also, this is a big one, man. I like this one a lot. It's not official yet, but it's getting close. Devin Haney is going to hopefully, hopefully, you hope for him and just for boxing because this is a, a big fight. Uh, Going to get a title shot against Luke Campbell. July 27th for the vacant WBC lightweight title. That's the title Mikey Garcia gave up that the WBC will let him have back anytime he decides to come back to lightweight. But in the meantime, it looks like Devin Haney and Luke Campbell will fight July 27th. And it's probably going to be in America. That's going to be uh, an Eddie Hearn uh, matchroom card. He just signed Devin Haney, and he ain't wasting no damn time. So these guys are ranked, I think, um, I want to say number one and number three by the WBC, and that's how it's coming together. The number two uh, ranked guy is, I think he's Muslim. He's going to be celebrating Ramadan. So he's unavailable. So it's going to be Devin Haney, Luke Campbell, probably, probably July 22nd for the WBC lightweight title. I like that fight a lot. I really, really do. Also, uh, Teofimo Lopez, he's going to hopefully get a title shot before the end of the year. He is going to be in a title eliminator, an IBF title elim eliminator, July 19th against Japanese fighter Masayoshi Nakatani. It's going to be at the uh, MGM in Oxon Hill, Maryland. These guys are ranked number three and number four by the IBF. Number one and number two are vacant. So I, I don't know how you can have number one and number two vacant. Just promote these guys to number one and number two. But whatever. They're the top two rated guys with the IBF. They're going to fight a title eliminator. Winner of that gets Richard Comey next. So it's obvious we're not going to get Vasily Lomachenko versus Richard Comey. That leaves a question as to who Loma is going to fight next. Because Luke Campbell fighting Devin Haney. Now, Grandpa Bob, he wanted Lomachenko to fight Luke Campbell to, to go after that WBC title. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. Looks like Eddie Hearn is going to get his way, and it's going to be Devin Haney fighting Luke Campbell for the WBC and Teofimo Lopez fighting for the IBF Eliminator. I think he'll beat this Japanese fighter and eventually fight Richard Comey at the end of this year. Where does that leave Asile Lomachenko later this year? I don't quite know, but should Lopez eventually fight Richard Comey and beat Comey, and that's no guarantee, 
Obviously, that makes a big fight with Vasily Lomachenko early next year. Should Richard Comey win? And look, not out of the realm of possibility. Richard Comey is a damn good fighter. Coming off an injury, fighting a younger, hungrier, really dynamic fighter. But should he win? Then him and Lomachenko is a big fight. But obviously, Grandpa Bob wants Teofimo Lopez to win that. Okay, one more, guys. Uh, Demetrius Andrade versus Macy Sulecki. June 29th in Providence. That is uh, Andrade's hometown, of course. That will be on zone. You know, all things considered, Sulecki, not an A-level fighter. You know, he's just kind of under that, just a tier under that. But a good quality, you know, top 15 or so, maybe top 10, uh, middleweight, maybe. But all things considered, man, this is probably the best opponent of Demetrius Andrade's career. For a guy who thinks he's worth tons of money, you know, and he deserves fights with Canelo and Golovkin. And he was there for Canelo Jacobs in the crowd. Man, if, if Sulecki is the best opponent of your career, bro, you got some work to do. I'm just saying. All right. So as I have my drink here. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, do we have any questions? We do. Okay. Oh, so I'm going to read them right here off the laptop. Um so right here, oh no, you put them right here in this little thing. Okay. Checkhook93 asks, Mike, we haven't seen any really bad scorecards in 2019 that I can remember. Has boxing been trying to clean that up lately? You know, it's coming, bro. Uh, they're gonna, we're gonna have a shitty scorecard here. Although, you know, there was a lot of people who felt uh, Porter Ugas, that was this year, right? They felt that wasn't a good score. There was the fight down with, uh, in Mexico, uh, Jaime Munguia. And Dennis Hogan, a lot of people thought that was a bad score. So we've had a couple of questionable scores already this year. But nothing atrocious, nothing horrible, right? Uh, so that is a good thing. And that's the way it should be. And I think that the Nevada Commission knew everybody was watching them. And um, yeah, as EA says, Mungia Hogan was a robber. Yeah, a lot of people feel that way. The sanctioning body looked at it, and apparently they don't think that, though. They don't agree. They, they independently scored it, and they feel that Munguia won, and there's not going to be a rematch between Hogan and Munguia, which I think is a damn shame because regardless of how you feel about the scorecards, I just thought it was a damn good fight. I'd like to see it again. And again, if you're Jaime Munguia's people, you should want that damn fight again because it, it could help your fighter grow and you could show growth from the first fight to the second fight. But obviously, they're going in a different direction, which tells me they're not that confident in Munguia anymore. If they were confident in him, they go right back to the well against Dennis Hogan. You know, Charlo, yeah, yeah. Look, Charlo wants his title back, but he's going right back at Harrison. And his people are too, because they're confident he can beat Harrison in a rematch. That's why they're going right back. Mugia's people not doing that. So that tells me that they kind of know what they got. And they got a limited, in my opinion, very overhyped fighter due to demographics and everything and some good matchmaking for him. But, um, you know, boxing, they say they're trying to clean shit like that up. But then again, Adelaide Bird could have worked this weekend on the main event if the promotion had chosen her. So, I don't know, bro. Hamid92 asked, Michael, who do you favor, Jacobs or Golovkin in a rematch? Honestly, dude, I need to see how Golovkin looks against Steve Rolls and how he looks with Jonathan Banks. Now, when you work with a new trainer, it takes a while. It takes a while to get adjusted. I want to see how he looks. But I just, I think Danny Jacobs is one of those guys 
And I said this last night on the radio spot I did with Dave Smith. Um, he, he's just a notch below guys, obviously like Golovkin and Canelo, who are pound for pound. They're great fighters. Dana Jacobs is really good, not quite great. And you just get the feeling he always leaves it kind of, uh, he leaves gas in the tank. He never empties the tank when he's fighting. So I, I think I'd still favor Golovkin. Uh, okay, Robert Palmer, let me get this question out. Uh, can Canelo be classified as an all-time great without a dominant win over a top-tier opponent? I think so. I, I think he, I mean, obviously not yet, but there are fighters like uh, Vladimir Klitschko, for instance. He didn't necessarily fight over a, a very good division, and he had some losses, but his reign of dominance for a decade, literally a decade, and he was very, very dominant. None of the guys he beat were, you know, are going to be Hall of Famers, but he was very, very dominant for a long time. And I think that that is enough to, to put him in a class as an all-time great heavyweight. I think he's right there on the bubble of the top 10 all time. I really, really do. And depending on how guys like uh, Fury and Joshua, how their careers pan out uh, as they go, you know, Klitschko's fights, losing against them at, what, 39, 41 years old, won't look so bad if those guys go on to have Hall of Fame-level careers. So, in fact, he'll be known as the guy who kind of passed the torch to that generation. So, he's an all-time great, and we've seen other fighters like that. Canelo does have some controversial wins, right? But so do guys. Look, Floyd Mayweather, the first fight with Jose Luis Castillo, that was controversial. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya had several controversial decisions go his way. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard had a, a debatable decision win over uh, over a Hagler. So th there were a lot of guys who had those close, debatable decisions, and they're seen as all-time greats. For Canelo, look, he will fight Golovkin a third time if he if he decisively beats him in this third fight, and then goes on to actually eventually beat a legitimate super middleweight, like a Callum Smith. I mean, Rocky Fielding, that meant nothing. But if he moves up and, and beats some of the really, really good super middleweights and becomes a legitimate champion there, he's certainly an all-time great. He's in that discussion. All right, let's see. Uh, Michael Mendiola asks, what are your thoughts on Virgil Ortiz dropping to 140? I think he, I think he smokes Teofimo, but will it happen? Um, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility him fighting Tiafimo, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, Ortiz, man, I'll talk about it in a few minutes, looks spectacular. And I can't believe this kid's, what, 21 years old? He's just so wise and mature for his age. Limitless potential. I'm way higher on Virgil Ortiz than I ever was on, like, Jaime Munguia. I never was big on Jaime Munguia. I just see things in Ortiz that I, I see in Tiafimo Lopez, too. Um, I'm high on both of those guys. But uh, look, him fighting Tiafimo Lopez, I said earlier, Lopez is going for Richard Comey, and then if he's successful, he's going for Lomachenko. Should he get beat by Lomachenko, he has an excuse because he'll say, oh, I couldn't make 135, it killed me, he can move up to 140, he saves face. And then perhaps, perhaps an eventual fight between Ortiz, if he has success at 140, uh, between you know him and Lopez can work, but dude, 140 is stacked, right? We're probably going to get Regis Progre and Josh Taylor this year. The winner of that fight is the 
undisputed champion at 140, but you still got guys like uh, Jose Ramirez and other fighters. If you have Ortiz there and Lopez there by the end of next year, dude, that division is going to be crazy. And there's going to be all sorts of good fights that we can have. And eventually at some point, I think Devin Haney is going to move up after he's done at lightweight. And he's just going to add to that division. So, dude, 140 to 147. Hell, man, 140 through 160 over the next few years is just going to be great. It's going to be the gift that keeps on giving. Johnny Boy asks, does Brazil have any more than a puncher's chance against Wilder? Um, I think so. I, honestly, he doesn't really have a puncher's chance because uh, he's very slow. And I don't know if he can catch Wilder with one shot and knock him out. What I think maybe he has a chance to do is wear him down. And late in the fight, if Wilder's tired and doesn't take camp seriously, maybe late in the fight, he can get lucky and with an accumulation of punches, get enough work done to where he can score upset special decision. That's not what I see happening, but he's highly motivated. Walter, or Walter Wilder really assaulted his family, like legitimately. Um, apparently, Brazil dissed Wilder's disabled kid, though. So, hey, you do that, anything's game, man. But uh, there's bad blood between these two. The one thing Brazil has shown, he has a big body and he can take punches. He took a lot of punches from Anthony Joshua before being stopped. Did he learn anything in that fight that he can take into the Wilder fight? I don't know. But Wilder has shown he could be sloppy as hell. He can get caught. And basically, he can give away rounds. Is he going to get caught with one shot and dropped by Brazil? I don't think so. But he might give away rounds, dude. We might be in a 6th, 7th, 8th round of that fight, and it's even. That's something that I, I think is, is not at all impossible. I think it very well could happen, and then things could get interesting. So um, that would be pretty cool. All right, one more question, and then we'll get into the review. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Azier, is Banks good for Golovkin? I already touched on that, so we'll get to your second question here. Did Miller really sign with Dana White? Can he get away with all that juice? I haven't heard anything about that. Honestly, guys, the whole Dana White and boxing thing, I, the shit that I took this morning with my coffee has more value to it. Um, I, I just, I don't care. Dana White has no idea what the hell he's doing in boxing. I think it's just a way to get his name in the news, to stay relevant, and it actually helps promote UFC, which he's still getting a cut of. So I just, I don't buy anything into it. If he is in boxing and he signed Jarrell Big Baby Miller, that tells you the level that he's at. Now, I do know Dana White has a history of selling steroids. You know, he's well known for that back in the Boston area. He's not the best guy. He's kind of a douche. But uh, I wouldn't put it past him to sign Jarrell Big Baby Miller. But I haven't heard anything about that. Quite frankly, I don't give a shit about what either two of them do. I just don't. When it comes to boxing, you know, have nothing against them personally, but when it comes to boxing. Okay, let's get into this review because um, we got a lot to talk about here. So Thursday, May 2nd, Upset Special, Hard Rock Hotel in Las Vegas, Golden Boy Promotions on Facebook Watch. Christopher Pearson pulls the minor upset over uh, unanimous decision in 10 rounds over Yamaguchi Falcao, who the two Falcao brothers uh, from Brazil fought in the 2012 Olympics. And I got to look at them and Christopher Pearson when I first started on the beat in Los Angeles covering 
the World Series of Boxing. The Los Angeles Matadors was the team there for a couple seasons. And I got to see Christopher Pearson up close and personal. I remember I interviewed him after a fight where he broke his nose in the World Series of Boxing. I thought he was one of the better fighters I saw, it, one of the better American fighters I saw in the World Series of Boxing. His career got off to a rough start. He signed with Floyd Mayweather, which was a massive mistake, and he made a bunch of, bunch of mistakes, lost a couple times, but he came into this fight super motivated. And Falcao, both of them, but Yamaguchi especially, he's been talking a lot of trash on Twitter, social media, that he's the best middleweight, that he wants Canelo, he wants Golovkin, he's been talking about it forever and a day, and here it is, he gets upset by a guy that most people thought was a bust. But now Christopher Pearson, people are going to take a look at him again. And people are going to question the Falcows, who, quite frankly, you know, when I saw them in the World Series of Boxing, I actually thought they had potential. And I, I kept an eye on them. And I saw them uh, fight, I think, on the Golden Boys Hollywood Fight Nights, those Friday night cards they used to do at the Belasco Theater. I was ringside to see a couple of those. Uh, I covered several of them, but I saw the Falcows there. I thought they had potential. But here it is, neither one of them have fought anybody as a pro, and now uh, Yamaguchi just lost. So I, I don't know what to think about them, but just disappointments as pros so far. Saturday, May 4th, we had two big cards. Uh, one at Stockton, California, top rank on ESPN. Jerwin Ancajas scores a seventh round knockout, like I told you guys he was going to, against Japanese fighter Ryoichi Funai. Defends his IBF super flyweight title. Uh, Ancajas had a draw in his last fight. Hasn't looked good. Needed a knockout. Perfect matchmaking for him. Funai, first, first fight outside of Japan. He had been stopped three times. The ring doctor stopped the fight. It had been a shutout to that point anyway. No point, or there's just no point in letting this thing continue. What's next for Ancajas? Can he unify with somebody? That's the question. So Khalid Yafai, he's a matchroom fighter, which means he's on the zone. And then Juan Francisco Estrada, I think promotionally is not tied to the zone, although he just fought on the zone, but I think he can fight anywhere. I Correct me if I'm wrong on this, guys, but I think he's with uh, a promoter out of Mexico, so he could go anywhere. So maybe, maybe we could get a fight between Jerwin Ancajas and Juan Francisco Estrada on ESPN. If so, sign me up for some of that shit. I think that'd be great. Also on this card, Arthur Betabiev scored a KO5 over Radovoje Kalajdik, defended his IBF light heavyweight title. I talked about this last week. Betabiev has been a pro for six years. This was just his 14th fight. He had only had one in 2017, one in 2018. So hopefully he can have several fights here in 2019 and get things moving. Uh, for Kalajdik, I hope I'm saying that anywhere near correctly uh he had a draw with marcus brown in 2016 from there other than that he had fought absolutely nobody up until this fight and you saw what happened so he was dropped in the third round stopped standing by the ref he had been down before but never stopped so it was a good impressive win for viterbiev now it's time to unify dude called out sergey kovalev but of course Kovalev has a mandatory situation with Anthony Yard. He's going to fight him probably in Russia later this year, this summer. Oleksandr Vojtek. Let's see unification with him. He's also a top rank. That's easy to make. That's a good quality fight on ESPN later this year. Who the hell wouldn't want to see the Turbiev in Vojtek? I think that'd be great. 
Okay, Las Vegas, T-Mobile Arena. There was a card from Golden Boy Promotions and Matchroom working together. And let me just run through the undercard here. Virgil Ortiz out of Dallas, Texas, 21 years old, 5'10", and should be doing the bulk of his work at 140. I think this is a little above 140. Uh, scored a KO3 win over Mauricio Herrera. All 38, almost 39 years of him ruined him with a right hand. I mean, just ruined the guy with the right hand. He was asleep before he hit the canvas. I thought the ref did an outstanding job by jumping in there and kind of helping make sure that uh, that Herrera's head didn't hit the canvas, the back of his head, or that he didn't fall out of the ring. So good job on the ref there. The whole commission did pretty well Saturday. They knew a lot of people were looking. And overall, the refs, judges did a pretty good job. So uh, Herrera had never been stopped, was down twice in this fight. But look, he's now lost six of his last 10. So as impressed as I was with what Virgil Ortiz did, uh, you can't get too excited, okay? Here's what I'm impressed by. I'm not impressed that, that impressed that he completely destroyed an ancient Mauricio Herrera. It's that he, how he did it, where he did it. This was a big stage. This was a co-main of a Canelo Alvarez fight. A, a huge crowd at T-Mobile Arena, right? Me big Mexican fan base fighting on the undercard of the most popular Mexican fighter right now. That's a ton of pressure for a 21-year-old kid and sure as hell didn't look like he was feeling the pressure. He just went out there and did his thing. And I thought in the post-fight interview, he handled it very well. He's very good on the mic, very good on camera. This kid, I'm telling you, way more upside here than someone like Jaime Munguia. And I'm not trying to beat up on Jaime Munguia. I'm really, truly not. I'm just saying this kid's got potential, big potential. And Golden Boy, uh, they got something in him. He's clearly their best prospect, their best hopes for having an eventual replacement for Canelo Alvarez, who can't fight forever. Also on this card, uh, Joseph Diaz scored a TKO 7 win over Freddy Fonseca. 3-0 uh, since the Gary Russell Jr. loss. Much better at 130 pounds than he was at 126. And I thought it was uh, very, very cool the way in the post-fight interview he talked about the fact that he had struggled a lot with depression after the Gary Russell Jr. loss. Uh, I think he had a couple... Was it one loss? or Yeah, there's just one loss, but... Um, he, he failed to make weight for a fight and he, he didn't get a title that he would have had had he made weight. So he's had issues, had a lot of depression, struggled with that and owned up to it and admitted it and talked about the fact that anyone out there struggling with depression, you need to talk to people, talk to friends, talk to family. If you don't have friends and family, man, call some hotline or something like seek help, right? And I, I just thought that was cool, man. He seems to be in a much better place now with the way he's training so it looks like him and Tevin Farmer next for the IBF. I think that would be a great fight. It's time for Joseph Diaz to step up and fight somebody. Tevin Farmer was there. These two have been talking trash back and forth on social media and in person. So I like that. But look, we also have the, Can the Cancio Machado rematch. The winner of that. I'd like to see Diaz against one of them. And then, of course, we have Burchelt Vargas doing a rematch uh, this week. I'll talk about that later. Let's see him against the winner of that. Him against any three of those fighters. I just want to see the kid fight the best. He's ready. John Ryder out of London scored a TKO3 win over Aussie Bilal Okoye. He was a super middleweight. Uh, Lamont Roach got a gift in, in his fight. A lot of people felt that he lost or maybe it was a draw at best and he got a unanimous decision. Scores were kind of wide. I don't know. That was the one fight 
of the night that you could kind of point to and be like, hey, Vegas, Golden Boy, here's what's up. Anthony Young scored a TKO3 win over Saddam Ali. Uh, Saddam Ali needs to maybe think about hanging him up. He's kind of getting to that point in his career. All right, let's talk main event. Canelo, unanimous decision win over Daniel Jacobs, unifies WBC, WBA, and the IBF. Obviously, Demetrius Andre is a WBO. Nobody really gives a shit about him right now, though. He needs to prove himself. Scores were 115, 113, twice, 116, 112. I'm cool with those scores. Personally, I saw, I scored at 116, 112. If you had it 117, 111, I wouldn't be mad at you. I thought Jacobs won four rounds, give or take. If you have winning three, you have winning five, okay. The absolute most you could give the guys five rounds, and that's if you were giving them every swing round. If you were giving Canelo every swing round, it was nine rounds to three. I split the difference and had it eight rounds to four. Of course, there are people on Twitter saying Jacobs won. There are people on YouTube saying Jacobs won. They're out of their fucking minds. Out of their minds. People need to stop scoring fights with their emotions. Gennady Golovkin, or I'm sorry, Canelo Alvarez. I was just thinking because Gennady Golovkin gets, gets this a lot, but... Canelo Alvarez, because he's such a popular fighter, a lot of people dislike him. A lot of people diss the shit out of him. And a lot of people score fights grading on a curve. And they were giving Jacobs extra credit for pulling out rounds that were close, competitive, but he didn't win the rounds. So, look, Jacobs, good fighter, hard worker. It's awesome that he beat Cancer. The guys on the zone didn't need to mention that 4,812 times, but I'm, he, it's wonderful that he did. And it's great that he worked his way back, all the way back to the championship level. He got paid a ton of money for this fight. Don't believe the purses that were reported publicly. He's getting money under, under the table. He's getting money under the table. Upwards, I don't know if he's going to get 10 million, but he's going to get 7, 8 million at least. So life-changing money in this fight. He had... Pretty much life-changing money against Golovkin in their fight. He's doing fine, okay? And he's going to maybe move up to 168 from here. It's possible it could re if Golovkin fights Canelo the third time and loses, maybe we get a Golovkin-Jacobs rematch at 168 or at a catchweight. Who the hell knows? Possibilities are endless. But there's plenty of fighters Jacobs could fight at 168, particularly if he's willing to go over to the UK to fight them. He's with Eddie Hearn now, so that makes sense. Uh, but he could fight guys in New York too. And, and Hearn is definitely trying to build up the American profile of you know, Matchroom USA. So um, anyway, this whole weight thing. Let me talk about this real quick, and then we'll get to some questions here. Jacobs came in uh, almost, it was over three pounds overweight. So it counts technically as four pounds. So $250,000 for a pound, a million dollars he had to pay out. This is the second day weigh-in. He made weight at the official weigh-in, but the second day weigh-in, and this wasn't an IBF thing. Let me clear this up. The IBF has their second day rehydration weigh-in and all that. I think you have to come in 10 pounds or less over the contracted weight of the fight. But this was something that Canelo Alvarez and Golden Boy Promotions wanted. This had nothing to do with the IBF because the IBF, if you're in a unification fight, they don't hold you to that 10-pound uh, rehydration thing. So he could weigh whatever he wanted, according to the IBF. But Golden Boy and Canelo said, we're going to charge you 250 grand 
for every pound that you're over 170 the morning of the fight. I don't know why they pulled that stunt. Jacob's weight had nothing to do with the fight based on the styles of this because a lot of you guys were asking me about this over and over and over. And I kept telling you, style-wise, his weight helped him more in the Golovkin fight. It absolutely was a major advantage to him in that fight because of the styles and the way their styles mesh. The way that, look how much differently he fought against Canelo. The way Canelo fought against him. It was very much a technical, tactical fight. In the center of the ring, there were a couple heated exchanges, but it was mostly, I, I'm sorry to say this, it was kind of like a, a glorified sparring session. High-level shit, high-level chess, a lot of skill. But there wasn't crazy power punches being thrown from every angle. There was little bursts. But they were mostly bunched up bursts where both guys were so close to each other, they weren't getting full extension on their punches. It was more or less shoe shine from both guys. Jacobs did land a big left hand at one point. Canelo landed a couple of good shots. But neither guy landed more than five hard, crisp punches. And neither there was one hard, flush punch the whole night, and that was that left hand Jacobs landed. So other than that, man, it just the style of the fight, the weight didn't help him. So it really had nothing to do with, uh, with the performance of the fight. Canelo apparently has issues with his knee. You saw, I think he was wearing a brace. Didn't move around as well. That might be something he has to get looked at. He has had issues with joints and stuff before. That is something you see with fighters who live a certain lifestyle out of the ring. That's all I'm going to say. You guys might know where I'm going with that. Um, but... We'll see. Uh, apparently, he could get move around good enough to uh, to yeah, the fight scout steroids knee. You said it, not me, fight scout. Uh, but yeah, when you see joints breaking down like that, particularly on a guy who's not even thirty yet, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Anyway, I gotta give uh, Canelo Alvarez credit for this fight, though. His defensive skills in this fight were outstanding. His defense was way better than his offense. And for Jacobs, switching southpaw did nothing for him in this fight. I don't know why the hell he kept doing it. It's a nervous tick he has. He started doing it, I think, from like the second round on. At no point when he switched southpaw, look, it nullified Canelo a little bit. Canelo would pull back and he wouldn't punch as much. When Jacobs was orthodox, Canelo would walk him down. So I understand that it kind of nullified a little bit what Canelo was doing. But he wasn't punching back. Jacobs wasn't. It wasn't helping him score points and win rounds. It was just kind of delaying the action a little bit. So if, if your goal was to make it to the final bell and not get knocked out, okay, switching southpaw makes sense. But other than that, I don't know what the hell he was doing it for. It didn't help him. Okay, um... Let's get to some questions here. We got a bunch of them. Let me go up here. I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Um, okay, Southpaw asks or says, congrats on the move. And then asks, what do you think about Virgil Ortiz? Is he the best up and, young, up and comer of all the youngsters? Yeah, I talked about him before. Obviously, I, I think there's huge, huge potential there. Um, Tiafimo Lopez, to me, still kind of has a little more explosiveness to him. And we can't get too excited about either guy quite yet because they haven't fought a top 10 level fighter. But for a 21-year-old kid, Virgil Ortiz, there's a lot to like. DS Kennels 210 asks, uh, why did Jacobs come in three pounds over this, uh, on Saturday 
and pay a million dollar fine if he wasn't going to use it to his advantage. Didn't try to bully or lean on Canelo, stayed outside with a weak jab. Yeah, but Diaz, Kennel's 210, I hear you. You make a great point. But again, if you look at the styles and the way these guys fight, uh, Canelo is never going to allow Jacobs to tie, like throw him into the ropes and bully him. It's just not the style. Uh, Canelo is very good with his head movement, upper body movement, and he did very well keeping this in the center of the ring. And that's where Jacobs wanted it. But yeah, just the styles that they fight. Canelo's a natural counterpuncher. He backs up a lot. And with Golovkin, he's a come forward swarmer kind of. I mean, he's more sophisticated than that. But I'm just saying he comes forward. And that helped Jacobs use his weight in that fight. That's not how Canelo fights. So I just, that you could tell that that was their game plan the whole time to use the extra weight. Did they not watch tape on Canelo? He can back up. He can fight backing up. He doesn't need to come forward. And when, he, when they were on the inside, you're right. Jacobs would throw these pity pat, shoe shine flurries, wouldn't get extension, wouldn't even sit down on his punches. He, he just had a bad game plan. I don't know. But, that, you know, it's easy for me to say that right here. He's fighting one of the best fighters in the world pound for pound. It's hard to have a great game plan against Canelo. He's really freaking good. He's really improved. He is twice as good as he was when he fought Floyd Mayweather. He's twice as good as when he fought Arislandi Lara. He's made substantial improvements. James Lopez asks, do you think Julia Williams could knock out Jared Hurd? Does he have the power? Great show, Mike. James, yeah, dude. Look, he is a very, very live dog in that fight. I'm telling you right now, guys, do not sleep on Hurd Williams. I'm going to talk about it later in the preview section. But man, that is a damn good matchup. It's flying under the radar, but that is a fight fans, diehard boxing fans type of fight. I'm telling you. And yeah, J-Rock absolutely has a chance to, to shock the world in that one. Uh, Ken Henning asks, will Jacob move to 168? I think eventually. He might not right away. There might be another big money fight for him at 160. But I think, yeah, at one point, he's definitely going to move to 68. And who knows? He might look rejuvenated with the extra weight. He might punch more. That's the Jacobs just needs to punch more. Central Scott asked, Michael, Robbie Patterson here from Scotland. Callum Smith to beat Canelo at 168. What's up, Robbie? Thank you for watching, brother. I appreciate it, man. Robbie Patterson is a very knowledgeable guy. Knows his shit. We talk a lot on Twitter. Um, Callum Smith to beat Canelo at 168. I wouldn't go that far, bro. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far yet. Um, let's see Callum Smith fight fight some more seasoned fighters and prove himself a bit more. But yeah, he would have a tremendous size advantage. I just wonder how he'd handle Canelo's pressure and body attack. But that could be a great fight if they build it the right way. Uncle Bert apostrophe. All right, Mike. Might be old hat, but have you seen those apparent contracts of Al Heyman that have circulated? If so... What are your thoughts on them regarding level of control, breaking Ali Act, etc.? I have not seen them. Uh, that's something I'll look at. There's look. There's always rumors about Al Heyman, and there's trolls that leak. I'm using air quotes. Leak information out that you just wonder how accurate some of the stuff is. There is some legitimate stuff that we do know about him, and his contracts are obsessive. Uh, the level of control and everything is insane. But if you have a, a link or anything, dude, post it in the comments when this uh, this video loads up because yeah, I'll check it out. But 
Um, I've, I, guys, I just moved this weekend, so I haven't caught up on all the latest news and everything, obviously. But that's something, you know, I would take a look at it, and I'll let you know if I think it's legit or not. Louis Garibay asked, what kind of adjustments can Triple G make? I assume you're asking what kind of adjustments he can make against Canelo. Uh, for one, against Canelo, look, you know, maybe in one way he needs to make Canelo come to him. Um, but then again, you know, maybe he needs – actually, I think Jonathan Banks wants him to punch more and speed up the pace of the fight. I don't know about him training in high altitude if it's going to help him do that. But, um, yeah, I, I think maybe – pressing Canelo, who looked a little winded late against Jacobs. Jacobs did land some nice body shots against Canelo that had him visibly winded in those championship rounds. And uh, Golovkin had uh, Canelo looking winded late in both of their fights, particularly the first one. He just needs to fight a little bit more like the first fight, a little bit more body work, a lot more jabbing, and uh, just up the pace. That's what I would say. Let me get a couple more questions here before we get into the preview. Tommy Boseo, what's up, man? Tommy asks, when are you going to do the neutral corner on a rooftop, Montero? Oh, at some point, we will get that going. Let me get my house together first, bro. Maybe I'll do it on the roof of the house. I don't know. All you guys will see is some trees because uh, Atlanta has a lot of trees. Holy shit, there's a lot of trees. Uh, okay, Uncle Bird Apostrophe, probably a classic, but how would you see Holmes versus Klitschko going? Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, you know what? Best two jabs in heavyweight history. People talk about Ali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best two jabs in heavyweight history. Larry Holmes, Vladimir Klitschko. Even better than Lennox Lewis's jab. Yeah, I'm saying it. However, I'd have to favor Holmes. Holmes just fought, uh, you know, he didn't necessarily fight in a loaded division. But the division he fought in was probably better than Vlad's. However, you know, I don't know. I think about that more and more. Dude. I don't know, man. That's a 50-50 fight now that I really think about it because uh, I'm just trying to think who Holmes fought that had Klitschko's athleticism, length, power, jab, all of that. Uh, and then, you know, I think the jab and grab would bother Holmes. However, Holmes could fight on the inside too, and that would be his prime advantage against Klitschko. I say 55-45 Holmes. All right, before I get back to the questions, guys, let's uh, preview what we got coming up this weekend. We got a couple of good ones this weekend. Uh, Friday, May 10th in Corona, California. There's a showbox card. Ruben Villa, 15-0 featherweight out of Salinas, California, fighting in a 10-rounder. Michael Dutchover, 12-0 lightweight. Texas native now lives in Cali, fighting as well. And Saul Sanchez, 11-0 bantamweight out of Cali. Uh, Dutchover and Sanchez fighting in eight rounders. So those are Thompson boxing guys, I do believe. I called a couple of their fights, and uh, they are going to be fighting on Showbox this weekend. So kind of moving up in the world, right, which is good to see. Uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, there is a card on UFC Fight Pass Friday as well. And there is a card from Nottingham, England on The Zone featuring Jordan Gill, 23-year-old, 23-0 uh, featherweight prospect who looks really good, had a great performance in his last fight. And Lee Wood, who's 21-1, he's a featherweight. Both of them are in 12-rounders. And there's a tournament over there in London on BT Sport, an ultimate boxer tournament. One night only, it's uh, middleweights, three-round uh, three bouts. And uh, they're going to fight it out there on BT Sport. Saturday, May 11th, at the Convention Center in Tucson, Calif or Tucson Arizona, top rank on ESPN, 
the rematch. Actually, it's two rematches. Miguel Burchelt versus Francisco Vargas. This is the fifth defense of Burchelt's WBC 130-pound title. And the first fight between these two was back in January of 2017. It's hard to believe it was over two years ago. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Uh, Burchelt scored a KO 11 win. Vargas has only had two fights since. He's 34 years old, but he's an old 34. Therefore, I like Burchelt in this one. I think he's going to score another stoppage. You never know. Maybe the rest has helped rejuvenate Vargas a little bit. But personally, I just like Burchelt uh, down the stretch to score a knockout here. Also, Emmanuel Navarrete. All five foot seven of them going up against Isaac Dogbay. All five foot two of him. This is the first defense of the WBO Super Bantamweight title. Navarrete took off Dog Bay in their first fight last December. The scores for that fight were 115, 113, 116, 112 twice. I got to say, I like Navarrete pulling this one out again. I think the fans there in Tucson are going to be on his side. And he's just too big for Dog Bay. Five foot two. He's so undersized. I, I like Navarrete. And, and who, what adjustments could Dog Bay make against Navarrete in the rematch? I, I just, I'm going to go with the kid in this one to take it again. Also, on Saturday, May 11th, talked about this earlier, at the Eagle Bank Arena in Fairfax, Virginia. Believe it or not, man, a fight card in Fairfax, Virginia. That's cool. I like that. Both of these cards in secondary, really third-tier markets, Tucson, Arizona, and Fairfax, Virginia. I love it. PBC on Fox, TGB Promotions, Tom Brown putting it on, putting on the show. Uh, Jarrett Hurd versus Julian J. Rock Williams for the WBA and IBF Junior Middleweight Titles. I like this fight. Good, possibly great sleeper fight. Of all the fights Saturday, I am watching this one live. The show on ESPN, I'll watch it later. The main event, this PBC card, got to see it. So I'll start with the top rank on ESPN card. I'll be watching that. But as soon as that main event is on on Fox, boom, switching over to Fox. Telling you right now, it's going to be a good fight. Also on this card, Matt Vakorobov is fighting. And uh, several prospects fighting in minor step-up bouts. Uh, Alexandru Marin is a Romanian 115-pounder. And Mario Barrios out of San Antonio, Texas, uh, welterweight. They're both stepping up a little bit with the level of opponent they're fighting. And May 13th, we have a May fight. Uh, I always mess up his name. Maruti Mathialane against Masayuki Kuroda, the second defense of Mathialane's uh, IBF flyweight title. So those guys are going to fight. I'm not sure if that's on TV anywhere or streaming or anything like that. But uh, it is a title fight. So I felt the need to mention it. All right, guys. Let's go back to the questions here. See what we got. Patrick Fernandez. Where do you rank Canelo pound for pound? Okay. This is a fair question. I think, um, and we talked about this with the ring ratings committee. Uh, we talked over the weekend about this and I mean, I just, I don't know if, um, beating Jacobs in the way he did, I don't think he beat Jacobs any more decisively than Gennady Golovkin did. Uh, Golovkin actually knocked him down. Golovkin did probably take more punches, but he also inflicted more damage. So, uh, Canelo beat him more clean, you could say without taking as much punishment. But he was huffing and puffing late. And the second half of the fight was even. I thought the last six rounds were 3-3, which is pretty damn interesting. Anyway, um, pound for pound. Well, let's see. 
Number one and number two is Lomachenko and Crawford. They're interchangeable. And then there's Usyk, right? Um, Canelo might be right in there at number four. You know, and I think that's the way we rate him at ring. I'm pretty sure that's the way we rate him at boxing monthly. I think, yeah, number number four right now. He's certainly in the top five. He's uh, right there. Uh, in, Inoue is right, probably rounds out the top five. Naoya Inoue. If you had Inoue above Canelo, I... You know, I like Canelo above in a way right now. In a way, it's looked awesome. Titles in multiple weight classes. But has he fought anybody else on the pound-for-pound pound list? He hasn't. Canelo has. Regardless of how you feel about his fights you know, against Golovkin, you can make a case that he won the second fight. I scored it slightly for Golovkin. But you can make a case that he slightly won that rematch. Uh, he clearly lost the first fight, in my opinion. But... If he split two fights with Gennady Golovkin, that's pound-for-pound level shit. So he's certainly in the top five. Uncle Bert Apostrophe, with 140 becoming stacked and him being frozen at 147, do you see any chance Crawford might return to 140 to take on the World Boxing Super Series winner? You know, dude, he's comfortable right now at 147. Uh, he 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 doesn't have to struggle to make weight anymore. He's getting paid well. He has a minimum guarantee with top rank, he eats pretty well. I don't think he's going down to 140. I think if anything, some of the guys at 140, after they settle business and you get a, you know, the top tier two, three fighters, and that becomes clear who the top guys at 140 are, he might entice one of them to move up to 47. That is certainly a possibility. There's always a possibility that somebody like uh, Jose Ramirez could move up to 147. And that's not a huge fight. But it's a body. It's someone for him to fight. And by the time they fight, if, if Ramirez can stay undefeated, it's an undefeated fighter he could face. So, you know, something like that I think is more plausible. One of the guys at 140 moving up to fight Crawford. I don't see him going down. I just don't see that. Chuck Cook 93 says, Mike, why is Al Heyman so secretive? I don't know, bro. He, he's just he's kind of odd. And um, that's just how he is. It's just... Um, it's just the way he does business, and it's the way he's always been. I could just catch up right there on the questions. And um, it's something that drives the press crazy because you just you can't get a straight interview with the guy. You can't figure out what his business plan is. You know, Bob Arum, Oscar De La Hoya, they're promoters, which means half of what they say is complete and utter bullshit. But you do ask them questions about what would you like to do with this fighter? Where do you see that fighter going? And they'll give it to you. Bob Arum made it very clear. He wants Lomachenko and Teofimo Lopez to fight around the Super Bowl next year. You know what I'm saying? He'll give you that. So you, it gives me, my peers, something to talk about to you guys. But with Heyman and PBC, it's just all so damn secretive. That's just the way he is, bro. But it's it's very, very frustrating. And I think ultimately it kills his business to a degree. It, it works against him. It really does. Let's see. Um, I'm trying to find some more questions here, guys. I'm going through the uh, the chat here. Joshua Wilder says, Vlad, just too, bigs for home, too big for Holmes, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's what, at first I said I had to favor Holmes. But then I start thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, Vlad's size. It's not just that he's big it's he fought big behind that jab could Holmes get inside that jab he'd have to go through a lot of hell to do it I think 
once he did, he could get a lot of really good work done on the inside. He definitely much better fighter on the inside than Vlad. But Vlad's jab, every bit as good as Holmes, definitely stiffer. And the right hand was better than Holmes. Probably had a better left hook too. But Holmes had uppercuts, 45s. You go to the body and slow Vlad down. So that's why I'd still slightly favor Holmes in that fight. But damn, it'd be good. Damn, it would be good. Johnny Boy, he says, Vlad Holmes would be a great fight, in my opinion. Yep, I absolutely, absolutely agree. Mario G says, long live trees. Use cannabis to make paper, clothing, etc. Save the trees. <laughs> okay, there's your political statement for the day. Arlene Burley, Vlad wins also. All right, so a lot of you guys think Vlad would win that. James Burrell, can you speak on Joe Cordina, Mike? What about Joe Cordina? Be more specific and let me know which you want me to speak on, and I will. Uh, let's see. We have predictions here. Burchell UD, Dog Bay MD. Mixed majority decision. Okay. Yeah, look, Dog Bay can certainly pull it off. I just think that I think Navarrete is going to look better in the rematch than he looked in the first fight. That's what I see happening. I see him getting better. Arlene Burley says, Holmes was awesome, but Lewis and Vlad pulverized him. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I just think Holmes, look, damn underrated. Holmes is just an underrated heavyweight, in my opinion. I've just always thought that he's like in the top three or four all time for the heavyweights. And I just think a lot of people criminally underrate him. Manuel Matias, J-Rock is good, but Hurd is an animal with a rock chin. Does Hurd have a rock chin? What big power puncher has Hurd fought where he's taken hard shots on the chin from a guy who is really stepping into the punch and really trying to hurt him? I'm just trying to think, what really powerful fighter has Hurd fought? Not that J-Rock is a, is a devastating puncher, but he might be the hardest one-punch guy that Hurd has fought, right? Or am I forgetting something? Because Lara isn't a hard puncher. Who am, am I forgetting someone? Let me know, guys. Uh, let's see here. Josh, hashtag Joshua Wilder says, Hurd is a champ at 54, beat Harrison. And I think we don't need to argue about Mungia. Yeah, I, I think Hurd is legitimately the guy at junior middleweight. And I'd love to see him fight Charlo, though. I think Charlo will beat Harrison in a rematch. And then we need to have, if Hurd beats J-Rock, we need to see Hurd and Charlo. That will be for the undisputed championship at 154. Mungia will be on the outside looking in. He's moving up to 160 anyway, so his title is going to become vacant soon. So yeah, I, I think if we get by the end of this year, if, if Hurd and Charlo are successful in their next fights, and if they fight each other by the end of this year, that's damn good stuff. And then honestly, the winner of that, move up to 60. E.M. Serrano says, Holmes had a better chin than Vlad. Yeah, I tend to agree. Tend to agree. Although, did he ever take a right hand from a guy like Vlad or a guy like Lennox Lewis? I don't know, man. I mean, not a lot of guys can stand up to that shit. Uh, Chandler M says, let's be honest here. No one is on Canelo's level. Not Spence, not Crawford, none of them. I, I disagree. I think that Crawford, skill-wise, can do things that Canelo can't. The one thing Canelo does better than everybody right now, better than Lomachenko, better than Usyk, Crawford, is the head movement. Elite level head movement and upper body movement. I think it's the best in the sport right now. So 
if his feet were a little better, I could call him the best defensive fighter in the sport. He's not the best defensive fighter in the sport because the feet aren't quite as fast. But upper body movement, head movement, best in the sport. No one's even close, honestly. Uncle Bert Apostrophe says, cheers for the answers, bro. Don't have the article myself regarding the Heyman contracts, but we'll link you to a channel going through it on screen in a video, but someone else can hook you up direct. Yeah, okay, I gotta see who made the video, okay? And I got, cause you know, YouTube, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff, you guys know how I feel about the rumors and clickbait and all that stuff. So you always have to consider the source. If it's a reliable YouTuber who does good quality work in boxing media, respected work, I'll definitely check it out. Okay, let's see here. Uh, do you have any more questions, guys? Chandler M says he is the pound for pound number one. Canelo is. Punch for pound says Canelo better head movement than Lomachenko. Yipes, never go full stupid. Okay, so you're calling me stupid because I have a disagreement with you? That's stupid. Look, I have a disagreement with you that doesn't make me stupid. In fact, a lot of people in boxing pay me to do work, so I must not be stupid. They must trust my opinion. Yes, Canelo has better head movement than Lomachenko. I'm saying it right now. I think Lomachenko is a better fighter than Canelo, pound for pound. So don't shit yourself just yet. Relax, okay? Take a deep breath. But I do think that one particular skill, yeah, Canelo has better head movement than Lomachenko. I'm saying it. He does. He has the best head movement in the sport, including Lomachenko. Lomachenko is better defensively because his feet move better. See, what, see the difference there? Um, punch for pound. I didn't say you were stupid. I said it was a stupid statement. Well, if it's a stupid statement that I made, uh, wouldn't that make me stupid? Whoa, what do we have going on right here? Guys, can you see me? My uh, picture just went out. <laughs> what the hell? Baby! Come here, please. Did my phone just break? What? Look what happened. Oh. I don't know what happened here to the screen, guys. Yeah, PB fried pork says PBC's jacking my signal. Guys, I don't know if my phone just died, but uh, you guys can hear me but can't see me. Either way, guys, uh, we've been going for an hour. And um, yeah, Tiffany's going to try to fix my phone and uh, we're going to get out of here. All right, guys, so this was TNC 170. I appreciate you guys tuning in. The studio is a work in progress, but uh, <laughs> EM Serrano says, Punch's negativity killed the stream. <laughs> I love it. The timing really did work in that way. See, man, see what negativity does, ladies and gentlemen. Don't bring negativity here or my screen will go out. Uh, hopefully, because I'm recording this on my phone, my phone isn't completely broken. We'll find out. Anyway, guys, TNC 170 in the books. I'll see you at the fights. Thanks for tuning in. We'll do it again next week.